Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. How many of you like to read? You love books. You know, I I love books. I'm constantly reading three, four, five books. Uh, Regular paper books, digital books, audio books. I love them all. I read all the time. And one of the things that I love about a great author, and really this is true of all great communicators, is that sometimes they're able to put something or talk about something in such a way that it just sticks with you. It just sticks in your memory and you remember it on and on and on. Well, one of these is is from a book called Love Does for Me. And the author is Bob Goff, and he is a writer, speaker, all-around crazy person, if you're at all familiar with him. Uh, Really unique way of seeing the world. And so there was one part of his book that he talks about his relationship with God. And he said, you know, I was spending lots of time studying the words of Jesus. I was spending lots of time, you know, memorizing all the things that happened in Jesus' life. I was pretending like him and I were best friends and we hardly knew each other. And he said, I got to thinking about this. And I'm like, who memorizes what somebody did, where they went, uh, what they said, pretends to have a relationship with them and doesn't actually know the person at all? Who does that? Stalkers. Stalkers do that. He's like, I all of a sudden realized that I have been stalking Jesus. He's like, I creep myself out a little bit, and I probably creep Jesus out a little bit too. So that's what we're, we're talking about. He's, and he, you know, the difference is, and this is what he came to the conclusion is, the difference between stalking Jesus and actually following him is in do we actually do the things he said? Do we actually do them? Do we engage in what he said and connect with him on that relational level? So that's a little bit about what this series that we're talking about, this red letter challenge is all about. Consider the red letter challenge, your anti-stalker training. Now the last few weeks, we have been covering two of the aspects of following Jesus. We've hit being and we've hit forgiving. And Pastor Doug and Pastor Don did a great job laying those things out for us. And today we're going to talk about serving. Now, why is serving one of the big five, as it were? What is it about serving? Why should we serve? Well, we're going to cover that this morning. That's what we're going to be engaging with. And we're going to do it by talking about three specific reasons why we should serve. Now, have any of you ever made a point or said something to another person and you're trying to explain something and they're just staring back at you blankly? No idea. No clue. You ever had that happen? It it happens to me somewhat regularly with my eight-month-old daughter. Uh, I, I've got her here. And she, since she learned to crawl, flip over, pull herself up, you know, was on the verge of walking, being on her back is just not acceptable anymore. That is not an acceptable position, which makes it incredibly difficult when you're trying to change her. 
So I take her, I grab her, I put her on the changing table, and I said, now look, we're on the changing table. We do not roll over when we're on the changing table. It is incredibly difficult for me to change you and put a diaper on you when you roll over. All right, so this is the rule. When you're being changed, you don't roll over. She just smiles back at me and instantly rolls over. It just happens that way sometimes, doesn't it? I think that was the experience that Jesus had a lot with his disciples. He explains something to them. He talks to them about something and it just goes right over their heads. And that happened a lot when it came to the idea of serving with his disciples. So let's take a look at one specific instance of Jesus when he's going to talk about serving and actually he's going to demonstrate serving to them and see what happened here. So we're going to do, go to John chapter 13. Now, this, in this story, this is near the very end of Jesus' life, right near the Passover festival. And Jesus was aware that these were going to be his last moments with his disciples. We call it the Last Supper. It was the last meal that they would share together. The disciples were completely unaware of this, but Jesus was very aware of this. And it says that in uh, verse 3 here. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all the things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. He knew it was near the end. And that makes what happens here matter even more. What Jesus says here and does here has even more significance because of the moment. So what does Jesus do in this moment? What is he trying to teach his disciples near the end? Well, he gets up and he begins washing their feet. Let's take a look. Verse 4 and 5. So he gets up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, many of you are aware of the practical and cultural significance of what Jesus was doing. But let's just talk about it for a moment. This was not our modern day version of foot washing. If you've ever attended a modern foot washing, everyone shows up with clean feet, you splash some water on there, you get a hug and it's all over. Okay, That's not what this was. These guys walked everywhere. They rarely bathed. Their feet were constantly caked in dirt, dust, Probably worse things like animal feces or sewage, that kind of stuff. They had tons of dirt on their feet. This was a dirty, filthy job. And that's why they assigned servants to do it. Because they had wanted no part of this. This was not a job you wanted to do. And eventually, in a cultural sense, this was not a job that you wanted to be seen doing. There was a reputation thing associated with this here. It was viewed as beneath many people. Rabbis wouldn't be seen washing people's feet. The Pharisees certainly wouldn't be seen washing people's feet. It would hurt their reputation. Now apparently in this room for this meal, nobody had done the foot washing. There must not have been a servant around to do it. And nobody stepped up and wanted to take that mantle and run with it. No one else wanted to be the one who stooped down 
and lowered themselves in front of the other disciples. It would have cost them status. It would have made them seem a little bit below the other disciples. And personal status was very important to them, as we'll get to in a bit. But that's what Jesus does. Jesus washes their feet. Despite what it would mean, despite how nasty it would be. At one point, he goes to wash Peter's feet, and Peter even objects to this. And in part, Peter's objecting because, like, what are you doing, Jesus? You, you know who does this, right? Like, he's partly concerned for Jesus' reputation. Verse 7 says this. Jesus replied to this. He said, look, you don't realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. There's that idea. I know you guys don't get it. You still don't get it. I know you don't get it. Jesus is operating on a much deeper level here. And he knows what they don't know and what they don't understand yet. And he knows what he's doing. So what is Jesus doing? What is he actually doing? Well, when I was a kid, oftentimes my, my brother and I would object to what was uh, placed in front of us for dinner. We would say, oh, I don't like this, or I don't like that, or I don't like this, or I don't want to eat that. And after a while, my dad just got tired of it. And he says, look, it's perfectly okay to eat something you don't like. And to prove a point, he goes over and grabs a banana. Now, my dad hates bananas, hates them. He goes over, peels a banana, and proceeds to eat it in front of us. Now, what was he doing? He was just doing that to make a point. He didn't all of a sudden become a banana lover as a result of this incident. He was simply doing something he didn't want to do to make a point. Is that what Jesus is doing? Is that what he's doing by washing his feet? No. That's not what he's doing. Instead, what he's actually doing is he's actually showing them who he is. Even more, he's showing them what he wants them to become. He continues in verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. He's saying, look, you know the position I occupy. You know how you view me. You view me as your Lord. You view me as your teacher. These are high positions of honor. These are people you look up to. You know that I occupy that space. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, now that I've done this terrible, nasty, horrible servant thing, what should you do? You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. Okay. And you, you can probably see, like, the disciples are contemplating this. And the wheels are starting to turn in their minds. It's like, you mean, you mean Jesus, like, when we arrived, like, and we looked around and we didn't see any servants to clean our feet? You mean you actually wanted one of us to do it? Yeah. You mean, like, like volunteer? Yeah. You mean, like, we should be looking around to do this kind of thing all the time? Yes. Oh, okay. 
Well, that changes it a little bit, doesn't it? Jesus is saying, you need to follow my example. You need to do the same for each other. It's not just about this specific instance of serving. It's about the larger mentality. It's about the larger thing of being willing to serve. Jesus steps into the gap. He's willing to serve when no one else serves. So should we. Jesus serves in a way that no one else wants to. So should we. This is who he is. So to follow him, this is who we must become. The first reason to serve is we must serve because Jesus set that example for us. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you're sitting here thinking, oh, that seems kind of miserable. Constantly doing the dirty, nasty thing no one wants to do, that doesn't sound like much fun, does it? Are you saying that's what Jesus, following Jesus looks like, just being miserable, serving all the time? No, no, it's not, it's not all that there is to it. There's way more to it. In fact, when we follow Jesus and his example of serving, what it actually does is it unlocks something in our lives that every single one of us seeks and every single one of us craves. So now we go on to our second reason. And to explore this, let's look at a different version of this scene. Now there are four gospels written about the life of Jesus by four different authors who had different purposes and different audiences in mind. And what that means is sometimes one of them included a detail or two that the other ones didn't. So let's look at this same dinner, this last supper, from the perspective of Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 22. In this version, Jesus reveals to them that one of the fellow disciples has betrayed Jesus. And the disciples start to try to figure out who it was. It says they began to question amongst themselves which one of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was considered to be the greatest. So it starts out talking about who betrayed Jesus and morphs into us to talking about which one of us is the greatest. Now, this is kind of uh, interesting. This is kind of ironic. It'd be like going out and playing pickup basketball with your buddies and arguing over which one of you is the best player when prime Michael Jordan is on the other end of the court. Okay? If Michael Jordan is on the court, does it really matter who the second best basketball player is? No, it really doesn't. But I can see how this conversation plays out. Well, well guys, guys, who, who, who do you think betrayed Jesus? It wasn't me. Oh, I bet it was Bartholomew. No one's even heard of that guy. No, no, it wasn't me. I've been with him the whole time. I've been with him the whole time. It's probably Philip. You, saw, you heard what he said about Jesus when he first started. It had to be him. No, it wasn't me. I did way more miracles when, when Jesus sent us out. I did way more miracles than any of you did. No way. I was much better than you were. You can, you can hear it. You can see how this discussion would play out. Immediately, this supper is completely off the rails. And it's, it's kind of darkly comical if you think about it. Jesus is trying to share this special moment. And they're clueless and they're selfish. But if, if we think about it, if we examine this, we get it, don't we? If we're being honest, how many of us can honestly say we don't struggle with self-centeredness? How many of us can say that we haven't at times ignored Jesus and pursued something we wanted instead? Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was a job. 
Maybe it was all those toys and that purchase we really, really wanted. Or how many of us have a tendency to keep score about who did what and who was better at this than others? We do this a lot with our own family without even thinking about it. How many of you have the tendency or the temptation to keep score when it comes to things like chores or childcare or which friend called you versus you calling them? How many of us do this? We can probably all think of times when us being selfish have caused relationship problems, ruined an event, an evening, any of those type of things. We are constantly struggling to rein in our self-centered tendencies. So it really shouldn't be that difficult for us to understand what was happening with the disciples. So Jesus is going to respond to this argument. Now, we don't know exactly like which order some of these things happened in at the Last Supper, but I like to think it went down like this. Right in the middle of this argument, in the middle of them talking about which one of them is the greatest, Jesus gets up. He puts on a towel. He grabs the water and starts getting everything ready. And he slowly approaches one of the disciples as they're reclined at the table. And he begins washing one of their feet. And a few people around them start to notice. And then he moves on to the next person. And the room just starts getting quieter and quieter as everyone starts to figure out what Jesus is doing. After a while, they're all sitting there staring like, what is happening? That would have been such a Jesus move. I would love it. I think that's exactly how it went down. But Jesus was constantly wrestling with the self-centeredness of his disciples. He re they regularly fought over who was the greatest. There's another instance of scripture where two of them tried to hone in on the best spots next to Jesus. And he had to have another discussion with them about servanthood. So Jesus is going to explain to them now what's going on. He's going to explain to them that struggle of selfishness and self-centeredness. But he's going to broaden it out beyond our individual struggles. In verse 25, he says this. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. He's saying, there's something operating here. The examples you see around you are all set up towards selfish indulgence of our own desires. The culture is telling you the way to success is focusing on yourself, your own happiness, your own desires. Don't worry about how it affects other people. This is what fulfillment and success look like. Does that sound familiar? We live in a culture that pushes us more and more towards relentless pursuit of our own self-centered desires. We're told to look into ourselves, to search ourselves for the key to happiness. Whatever makes you feel good, do it. Your authentic self lies in pursuing your own thoughts, feelings, desires, your own truth. Pursuing your selfish desires is what gives you fulfillment. That's what our culture is saying to us. And maybe some of you have tried it. To a degree, I'm sure we all have. We've pursued selfish desires. We've pursued our own whims and pleasures. We've pursued status and power. But where did it leave us in the end? 
there's this really memorable scene from Dumb and Dumber. Okay? They are headed to the Rocky Mountains. That is their goal. That is their mission. Harry and Lloyd are headed to the Rocky Mountains. And as they're approaching Colorado, unbeknownst to either one of them, it's dark out and they make the wrong turn. And they drive all night in the wrong direction away from the Rocky Mountains. And they wake up in the morning and this is what they're looking at. And there's this great line where they say, huh, I thought the Rocky Mountains would be a little rockier than this. <laughs> in pursuit of what they wanted, they went on the wrong road and it took them entirely in the opposite direction. Now we have done everything we can to find our purpose in selfishness and self-centered pursuits. And the one thing our culture has promised us at the end of that road, happiness and fulfillment, are the very things that it does not deliver. The road to fulfillment our culture has taken is a wrong turn. And we ended up somewhere we didn't expect. Is it any wonder why we have such high rates of anxiety and mental illness. When you're going down the wrong road, it doesn't work. Jesus tells us there's another way. There's a different road. One that actually leads to purpose and fulfillment. Back to the verses here. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who exercise authority over themselves call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, in other words, here's the alternate path. Here's the different way of doing things. The greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. The road Jesus has us on takes us in the opposite direction. It's not found in living for ourselves. It's found in serving. There's a great illustration for this. My in-laws are on uh, what they call a youth aid panel in the southern Lancaster County. It's basically a diversion program for minors who get involved with the law in some way. Uh, so there was a 14-year-old girl who was arrested for shoplifting a couple hundred dollars of stuff. And so they sent her to this youth aid panel. And usually what happens is they go in there to this panel, they hear their story, uh, the panel usually assigns them some sort of community service, and then they have to report back a couple months later about their progress. And so this girl was assigned a couple of months of serving at a local public library. And when she came back for the end of her term, what she talked about was interesting. She said, I loved being at the library. I loved helping people. In fact, I loved it so much, I'm going to volunteer there even when I don't have to, when this program is done. That's really interesting. Now, maybe she pursues that, maybe she doesn't. But what happened in that moment? Here she was, caught doing something that's the very definition of selfish indulgence. Comes out on the other end with a different perspective. What happened in that moment was she got a glimpse just for a brief moment of her true purpose, of her, what true fulfillment lies in, serving other people, helping other people. Keep that in mind, teens. That's the key, helping other people. Nothing fulfills you more than serving. So that's reason number two. Your fulfillment and purpose can be found in serving others. 
Let's move on to reason number three. Now, Jesus says this. So, and in, in another passage in Matthew, he says, Let your light shine before others as they see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I'm going to read that again. Catch this at the bottom. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's really interesting to think about. What you do, the actions you take, the way you live your life speaks to other people and can actually cause other people to turn towards Jesus. That's incredible to think about when it comes to the idea of serving. Your serving can lead somebody to Jesus. Your serving can lead somebody to Jesus. This is why serving in the church is so incredibly powerful. Think about it from a welcome team perspective. If you're on welcome team, most people who are first-time guests at a church decide whether they're returning in the first seven minutes. Did you know that? First seven minutes upon arriving. They haven't heard worship. They haven't heard the sermon. Who do they interact with? The greeters and the people in the lobby. That makes welcome team incredibly vital in leading people towards Jesus. Camera operators. How many of you here have connected with Crossroads online before you stepped in to the building? How many of you did that? You connected with us in some form online. Many of you have. I know that because I've talked to you. <laughs> but one of the things that happens in that moment is camera operators become incredibly vital to what we do as a church. And the same thing with goes with audio mixing and sound mixing. Kids volunteers. You already know the impact you have on children. I hope you know the impact you have on children. Most people who follow Christ do so when they're a kid. But don't underestimate the impact you're able to have on parents. When they know that their children are safe and secure and well taken care of, they can come into a service and be able to focus on what Jesus has to say to them. It's huge. Community groups. When you serve, when you get together with serving, it can have a remarkable impact on your community. This is a picture of Pastor Don's group as they were serving at Kenbrook over the past year. And they talked about how great of an experience that was. It draws you closer together. It has an impact on your community, but it also has an impact on the lives of the other people in your group. Groups are a great way to serve. And the same goes for all of our volunteers who help us out on a daily, weekly basis. You are incredibly vital. And that's why we put so much emphasis and work into what we do as a church, into how things look, how they sound, what we offer, and the quality we do. We represent Jesus best when we serve him well. And the same thing happens with volunteering at Harvest Celebration. So many people have connected with our church, or that's their first contact with our church at Harvest Celebration. You cannot save yourself, and you don't need to, but through serving, you might be able to help save someone else. So what does this look like in practice? What do we have to actually do what do we have to actually do? Well, the first thing, we have to change a mindset. One of the things we're constantly battling with that self-centeredness 
So we need to change our mindset. This is how we break that self-centeredness and that self-indulgent thinking. Jesus began his foot washing because he saw there was an unfilled need and he noticed it. So what we need to do is we begin to notice need and we need to notice opportunities. So what I want you to do, first challenge, ask yourself this week, spend this week asking yourself, how can I serve? Whatever environment you're in, ask yourself this question, how can I serve? At home, how can I serve? At work, how can I serve? In this meeting, at the grocery store, wherever, how can I serve? What you'll find, the more you ask yourself that question in more and more environments, the more opportunities you will see to serve. And if you do this often enough, and you do it long enough, it starts becoming a habit and it starts becoming who you are. Now, I want to single out LCA, our student group that meets here on Tuesday through Thursday. Uh, this stage every week gets set up on Wednesdays by LCA group. They serve in here in our church every single Wednesday. They don't ever complain about it. We found out for the first few weeks they were actually putting their lunch on pause to help us. Their food was actually sitting back there waiting for them and they were helping us serve. And they do a great job. They're actually getting really, really good at it. They saw an opportunity and they helped us serve. So that's challenge number one. Challenge number two, serve regularly in a ministry at Crossroads. Serve regularly in a ministry at Crossroads. Everything changes when we regularly, consistently volunteer in church. It connects us to the mission of the broader church and the mission of the local church in ways that you won't get connected otherwise. And let me tell you something. You will never feel fully connected and fully at home here at Crossroads if you aren't serving with us. That's just the reality. You won't. Now, some of you may say, I, I'm not sure where to begin. I don't know what I can do. I don't know what skills I have. I don't know how to get involved. Well, first I would say, come talk to me. Come talk to one of the staff. We'll help navigate that conversation with you. But secondly, I would say this. If you don't know where to serve, start where you're most needed. Where are we most needed? Maybe you saw it in your e-news. We really, really need children's volunteers in two and three-year-olds and four and five-year-olds. We really, really need them. That's a place to start. We need more sound people, cameramen, tech people. That's a place to start. We need people helping out in the youth ministry. That's a great place to start. Now, some of you have dipped your toes into the water of serving with us. You serve on occasion. This is a great opportunity to jump in a little bit more. Talk to your ministry leader about maybe adding another week of service into your calendar. Now our third challenge. Some of you are doing fantastic with serving. You were in fact doing so much serving that we couldn't possibly ask you to do anything else. But I'm going to ask you to do something else. Now it's not going to involve you having to do more serving. But what I will say is bring somebody with you. Bring somebody with you. Are you already serving somewhere? Are you connected with other people in the church? Ask them to come with you. Ask them to volunteer. Bring someone along with you. We don't want to have to do all the recruiting from up here. We want you to do the recruiting for us. Okay? We're lazy like that. That's the way it is. But you have connections that we may not be aware of. Bring someone with you to help them serve. 
close with this. John 13, 17. Now that you know all these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we recognize that there's a specific way in which you want us to live. And if we follow you, that means we have to follow your example. And the example you have set for us is that of serving. You are a person who came on a mission to serve. And you displayed that throughout your life. And even more so in your dying on the cross for us. God, help us to understand as followers of Jesus, if we want to follow you, if we don't want to just stalk you, that means uh, we have to serve too. Not just because we have to, but help us to make that part of who we are. Help us to take those opportunities, to put aside the selfishness, the self-centeredness, and to embrace the mentality of asking that question, how can I serve? For some of you, there may be a very specific way you're thinking about it. And for others of you, you have to pray through what that looks like. God, I hope this week that each one of us will take that opportunity and figure out how can I better serve in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at crbic.org. That's crbic.org. Thank you.